Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter and what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsock for the 69th edition of the show. Just me today with your calls. Andres Cabrera, Rachel Cushing, Lon Harris, they're part of the show as well, part of the brand. Then they'll be back soon enough when workflows make it easier, when show budgets make it easier and more of a reality. They are still in my hearts, and I hope they're still in yours. Love hearing all their takes on Game of Thrones and the world of ice and fire, and that's what we do here. We go inside the lessons and themes of the world of ice and fire. And we've got some calls. In fact, we've got so many great calls today. I just want to do a shout-out to the folks that have called in since last week's episode. Uh, Nick Kittlesfeld has called back in. I know I'm saying that wrong, Nick. You're just going to have to change your name. Uh, Nick the First. I'll learn how to say it. That's probably better. Eric Monroe, Alden Diaz, Donna Long, Addy, and Billy's returning with some calls. In fact, so many great calls. I think I might have to do a bonus episode like early next week. See if I can find the time to do that. I, I think just, just toss it out there. We'll toss it into the world. Boom. There's no rules saying we only have to have an episode every Friday or Saturday. Sometimes it's Saturday. I apologize for that. We might have two next week because you guys have got some great, what I like to call thought starters, patent pending. That's not true. And uh, they get my head thinking. They get my head rolling, spinning. Sometimes I don't know the answers. Sometimes I just don't know the answers. Sometimes I think I know the answers and then I start talking about it or start prepping prepping for the episodes. I'm like, I don't really know my answers. Interesting. So let's dive right in. Second half of the show, we'll also have quote of the week, which I'll explain. It was a quote of the week. It was supposed to be a quote of the week uh, a little bit ago. Uh, story to them. Not a, not a super exciting story. I'll tell you in a bit. Hey, uh, let's get to this call here. This is a great thought starter from Addy. Uh, Addy, thank you so much for your calls. It's been a lot of fun uh, getting your takes on the show, getting your questions and, and, and the thought starters that you put out there. And this one, uh, this one had me researching, looking a little closer into one of my all time favorite scenes. We talk about it a lot. We just played a bit of a clip of it not too long ago. Uh, and we're going to do it again because again, there's no rules here. It's, it's the world of Westeros and Essos. It's we make it up as we go. We play the game. All right, Ken, shut up. Here you go. Here's Addie's call. Hello there, Casterly Talk. Addie again. Thinking back on just the show as a whole and revisiting some of my favorite moments, I was re-watching what is one of my favorite scenes, and I think Ken has mentioned is one of his favorite scenes, season one with Robert and Cersei. 17 years, their marriage has held the kingdom together. What's the bigger number, five versus one, etc.? And I was curious if you out there think that, talking about justice for Bobby B, how much of what Robert said to Cersei during that scene stuck when it came to season seven and eight and Cersei trying to strategize against Daenerys? Curious what your thoughts are. As always, keep up the great work and stay safe. I will stay safe. I don't know if it's great work, but I'm going to keep it up. But, Addie, I want you to keep calling in. This is great stuff. 
All right, let's go back to season one, episode five. Robert Cersei having a bit of a wine, having a bit of a drink. And I love that Addy uh, talks about justice for Bobby B, which is uh, what Alden Diaz called it, in a call about uh, Robert, when we focused on Robert not too long ago. Now, we had focused, uh, this scene, we can come back to this scene a lot. It's just, it's such an important scene. It's not just one of my favorite scenes. I just think it's a really important scene. And you can come back to it and look at it from Cersei's point of view and talk about her experiences and perspectives and hurts and what drives her. And then you can come back to the scene as we did recently in the Bobby Justice for Bobby B episode and what uh, what you learn of Robert in this scene and, and uh, his whole, the void in his heart that he just couldn't fill. But there's some, uh, and I've seen a lot of videos on YouTube, the predictions of Robert Baratheon. He's kind of like, uh, I don't know, Mace Windu in the prequels. Mace is kind of a lovable curmudgeon, but he also, at many points during the Star Wars prequels, just kind of says, I have a sense of, here's the exact plot of everything that's going to happen. And, hey, that's uh, that's, that's a good trait uh, in a character, right? It's, you're insightful. You're plugged in. You're tuned in. And despite, of, despite any faults, you kind of know the lay of the land. And Robert Baratheon difference between winning and ruling, as we know, and he won and maybe wasn't the best ruler, but he's a great warrior, and he knows this stuff. And Cersei listens. Cersei ain't no dummy. I know she tried to be, quote, as smart as Tywin Lannister, maybe fell short. That's sometimes the impression you get, particularly particularly in book four. You just kind of get the sense that she believes, and I don't think she's wrong, that she can take up the, the legacy of her father and, and keep the dynasty going. And she steps on her own uh, feet a little bit, stumbles, causes her own problems, the whole High Sparrow debacle, everything, the Faith Militant. A lot of, a lot of that can just be uh, interpreted as, as her trying and, and maybe failing. But Cersei's far more of an interesting character than just, ah, she tried, she wasn't as smart as uh, she thought she was, and she failed. She, she's way more than that. And one of the things is she listens. She listens to people around her. Uh, she knows the lay of the land. The whole uh, episode seven speech to Ned. You play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. She gets it. She gets it. And I want to go back to the scene. Uh, Addie mentioned uh, two things. You might be playing it here slightly out of order, but we're going to go to this one first, this clip. Uh, this is actually one of the, I don't know, it's one of those moments where you're just like, ah, oh, these crazy kids. Maybe too bad they couldn't have just figured it out at some point. They seem to have actually have some level deep down where they like, kind of appreciate each other. Anyways, it's the 17 years scene. Here we go. We haven't had a real fight in nine years. Backstabbing doesn't prepare you for a fight, and that's all the realm is now. Backstabbing and scheming and arse-licking and money-grubbing. Sometimes I don't know what holds it together. Our marriage. <laughs> 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 ah, so here we sit, 17 years later, holding it all together. Don't you get tired? Every day. How long can hate hold a thing together? Well, 17 years is quite a long time. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What a toast. And they go on there. Uh, so that's just a good start. Uh, that's just, that's just, Addy mentioned that line the 17 years later, holding it all together. And it's true. And again, it shows uh, Cersei's insightfulness. And, and she's listening and learning. And often, maybe not in this particular scene, she's she's a step or two ahead as well. And Robert's right. Robert's right. The rebellion of nine years prior, uh, you, you know, that's the last kind of blooding the officers and the and the knights and the, and the, and the warriors got. Uh, Robert knows uh, there's entire gener- probably an entire generation in his army that hasn't uh, really needed to worry about an actual all-out war. And then the rulers of the land, not really sure of how to act, or they have forgotten and got complacent. And he knows, he knows there's trouble coming. Robert is right about a lot of things. And when you go to what 
ends up happening in season seven with the queen, Cersei, ascending to the throne and just following a little bit of what Robert's about to tell her here. Let's say Viserys Targaryen lands with 40,000 Dothraki screamers at his back. We hole up in our castles. Wise move. Only a fool would meet the Dothraki in an open field. They leave us in our castles. They go from town to town, looting and burning, killing every man who can't hide behind a stone wall, stealing all our crops and livestock, enslaving all our women and children. How long do the people of the Seven Kingdoms stand behind their absentee king, their cowardly king hiding behind high walls? When did the people decide that Viserys Targaryen is the rightful monarch after all? We still outnumber them. Which is the bigger number, five or one? Five. Five. One. One army, a real army, united behind one leader with one purpose. Our purpose died with the Mad King. Now we've got as many armies as there are men with gold in their purse. And everybody wants something different. Your father wants to own the world. Ned Stark wants to run away and bury his head in the snow. What do you want? Right, there we go. That's what happens when you play clips. Suddenly they're... uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> YouTube channel. So shout out to Explore Westeros for uh, me stealing that clip from them. Played without permission, but go check them out. There you have it. Uh, this is one of the many examples of Robert knowing what's going, but this isn't about Robert. It's about what Cersei's learning here. And I think, and this is a little bit of my interpretation, she she has this, and, 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 and I just don't know if she knows how to unite these armies, and that might have been part of what she wanted to do after Season 7. And United might be to destroy her enemies or, uh, you know, uh, take them out. Uh, Euron shows up and she knows she needs his strength. Is she, she's thinking for herself and she has a lot of other examples and things to draw from. But is she going, how many times is she going back to this conversation and saying to herself, yeah, um, Robert, Robert was right. Five, one, the the one is the fist. I've got to make the fist. And how do I make that fist out of the out of, out of the five? Uh, I might have to pull fingers off or break them and mold them into what I got to do. And then along the way, when it starts going a little fuzzy, going a little wonky, when the queen, or at least the woman that might be queen, if her and the dragons decide to burn it all down and take it from Cersei, when Daenerys and her, and her army shows up, uh, the loot train battle, I mean... Robert's almost, it's almost like Robert is specifically predicting that battle, which is why it is such an awesome moment in the show to see it. And hopefully we'll see, see more of this when uh, the mother dragon hits uh, the shores of Westeros in the books. And I'm sure we will. We'll also get to hear two page descriptions of the eel pie. uh, The Dothraki tried for the first time in Westeros. Um, it, It probably sent shivers down Cersei's spine. If she thinks back to this moment, exact moment, I don't know. But to me, it's been the trying to turn the five to one and realizing that's not happening and the one has landed. And Cersei does an amazing job. She does an amazing job of breaking up Danny's one as best she can uh, with Euron's help again. It, it almost works, right? But it works because it works because Cersei ends up doing what what Robert says we have to do, but would be wrong, which is staying behind our walls, staying in our castle. It's literally what destroys her. Uh, there is a lot. The big why of Cersei's death. I understand some people don't like it. I, I'm not here to argue or debate the final uh, moments and the death of Cersei Lannister. I, I am here to tell you it's a pretty powerful why. And it's not even that deep. It's just there on the screen. 
the kingdom she wanted, the queendom she wanted. She got it. In a weird way, she earned it. We're all kind of secretly cheering for her at different times during the show. And it's these uh, scenes early on with Robert that kind of helped that, where you see where a lot of uh, the pain comes from. And you can sympathize and then, again, get behind her a little bit and root for her. She gets it. She gets it. It's what she wanted. But she can't turn that five to one for herself. And so when someone else's fist shows up to her shores, she does what Robert says you shouldn't do. Or what, if we have to do for our own safety, will end up weakening us. Is to stay, you stay behind the walls. Danny didn't go around village to village in all of the Seven Kingdoms. She just decided to burn it all down right there. So how did it affect Cersei? I think in every way possible. It was with her. She knew what she had to do. She just didn't know the best way to do it. She didn't have the best people around her to do it. She never did quite care for the small folk. And it showed but the small folk were ready to reject Danny. Cersei could have found a way. But she, she doesn't turn towards empathy, compassion, humanity herself in the end. That, to me, is part of the big purpose of Missandei's death. Again, a, a, a trouble point for some folks. I get that. I get the real-world implications of that. Um, that is the big why of that scene is... Tyrion pleading to his sister, turn away from this path. And when she does, Cersei has no choice but to stick behind those walls, just as Robert warned. And it all comes crumbling down, and it all means nothing until Jamie's there to go out with her. And we can talk about Jamie <laughs> some other time. But I love that moment. It came with a little bit of surprise to me, too. Came, came with a lot of surprise. But when you kind of stop and think about some of these things, and you connect these dots and, and go back to these beginning scenes like Addie has, has, has uh, jogged our brains to do here today, you see a little bit more meaning. It's a fascinating relationship, Robert and Cersei. Fascinating. And, uh, uh, man, there's there's... There's part of me uh, that wishes, uh, you know, go back in time and just tell them, you know, you might actually like each other. And Robert, uh, you know, get over, get over, Lietta. Cersei's in front of you. Look at that smile. Look at that smirk. Come on. Come on. Uh, maybe another time. Maybe another time. Addy, uh, thank you. I hope I addressed uh, your thought starters best. Uh, you can, as you, as you wanted, as best as, uh, you know, I could. As uh, I'm, I'm, uh, only one man uh, watching this same scene over and over again. I really do love it. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. All right, we got uh, this question here. Uh, Cersei, we're talking about Cersei. Kind of a villain, right? Kind of not. And Alden Diaz has got a great question here. Great thought about the true villains of GOT. Hey, Ken. Uh, it's Alden here. Uh, so one of the key things that I really fell in love with about Game of Thrones is, of course, the shades of gray when it comes to the different characters that we meet throughout the story in the world of ice and fire. But, you know, a lot of them serve to underline the occasional character who truly is a villain. We get so many shades of grays that when you meet somebody who truly is, you know, on the dark side, a true black hat, outlaw cowboy, a true evil heel of a character uh it just adds emphasis so i'm curious to know which of the true evil heels in game of thrones actually uh worked for you the most repulsed you the most made you feel the most fear was the most off-putting to you obviously there's viserys there's joffrey there's of course ramsey bolton but also uh some smaller ones maybe like craster that you could highlight uh, or even the night king so let me know who did you think was the most effective of the true villains hmm the true villains, the true heels of Game of Thrones. It's so funny because as as uh, Alden's call came in, I, I, my thoughts went to to Cersei, uh, though this, this is one of my favorite characters who I don't really like rooting against. But sometimes, again, I think she gets what she kind of makes for herself a little bit. Uh, Tywin is 
Tywin's kind of an emotional villain of the series, as much as I love him, as much as Andres loves him. But uh, uh, it's not exactly... There's there's some shades there with Tywin. There's some shades. Faint, but they're, they are there. As far as true villains go, I'm glad Alden threw in Craster. He's, he's pretty despicable. He's pretty despicable. And I... If I just didn't love Gior Mormont so much, who's complicated at times in his own way, I would have loved the whole sequence, the death of Craster. But when it suddenly took the life of Gior, that broke, that broke me a little bit because I love those crusty old men. But Craster, he's crusty and he's old, but he ain't one of my favorites. So, in a way, he's one of the more he's one of the more despicable characters. Viserys, Joffrey, Ramsay. Night King. Night King's a little bit different. I think we all agree. Evil for evil's sake. Uh, some different uh, purpose to that uh, that character showing up in the show. Kind of his own conversation, what he represents and, and the why of the Night King. I got to tell you, it's, it's Ramsey. And it's not that Viserys had any, I mean, is there shades of gray in Viserys? Yeah, kinda. Kinda. He's he's a little bit of of what uh, entitlement and I mean I'll say yeah, privilege is a Targaryen, but he doesn't grow up with that Targaryen privilege in Essos as much as he would have in, in Westeros. Obviously, during the reign, it's it's different, and he has to hide it. He has to be a little low, uh, a little low key hiding out. You know what I mean? But. It's the entitlement. It is. It is. Uh, you are the chosen one. This this pops up again. You guys, you know, I'm going to cross cross with Star Wars a lot. It's Anakin. There's, there's something to uh, the, the the chosen one type. You are this, and that brings with it a, a certain level of entitlement and privilege that uh, can can cause problems, can lead to bad things, lead to bad choices, and destiny is about those. Destiny, it, it, it takes you to those choices, as we always say. So Viserys is a little bit like, like, like that for me. I don't think there's a, a lot of, there's not a lot of uh, justifiable, you know, reasons uh, or reasons to justify him, I guess. Flip it, flip the words around like Willy Wonka. Um, you know what I mean? Like bad, bad beginning, told these Basically told he's the chosen one, child of destiny. You're going to go back and reclaim your land and reclaim your land. And, you know, hey, so he believes it. He believes it. You could still choose to do with that what you will and be better about it. He's he's horrible. I mean, he got the death he deserved. Again, I've always talked about that, actually. Ned Stark's death is legendary for a reason and changed the game. But Viserys' death, for me, as, as someone who was watching season one before reading the books... That was that was the curveball of whoa this is this kind of thing's happening and Robert's death as well like back to back like oof all right I thought I thought I was going to be uh, six seasons with Viserys <laughs> you know figure I figured Danny would be in the lead somehow but you know I just didn't see that coming and and it and it threw me for a loop so Viserys Joffrey fun to hate but it is the show has has two halves to it seasons one two and three I always talk about. Uh, it's kind of the original cast, right? And then the cast kind of changes. Um, there's business reasons for that too, not just character-wise in the show. Um, some stuff about when shows hit season threes and contracts and renewals and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of changes that um, were predestined to happen, maybe business-wise. You know, it doesn't greatly influence the story, but you know, it's it's, it's there. And so the one, seasons one, two, and three are. Um, Classic Game of Thrones, if you will, and then four, five, uh, six, seven, eight, um, maybe four, five, six, and then seven and eight, kind of the other eras. It's so it's Joffrey still kind of has the headlines. Joffrey is uh, a little shit and uh, gets what's coming to him. You look at his past and you can kind of, all right, well. There's some reasons he is the way he is. All right, we get it. And some of it is bad father. <laughs> We're not talking Jamie. Robert, who believes this is his kid, not good. Not good. Robert, we love you. We're trying to keep that justice for Bobby B going, but, oh, man, there's some problems. 
It's Ramsey, though, that is the villain among villains. And it is Ramsey who continuously doubles and triples and quadruples down on, on his bad nature and makes every bad choice. I, I believe in a certain amount of personal responsibility, and I want to say this carefully. There are things in your pasts, uh, things in characters' pasts that are horrible and affect you, and they're traumatic. And you doing anything because of those does not necessarily mean that the, the actions you do after that are bad or that you're bad for it or everything. You know, follow me on that thread there. But I still believe in a, in a certain level of some cards are dealt with you and you got to choose how to play them, all right? And Ramsey's dealt... A lot of bad cards. Roos Bolton, not nice either. A lot of bad fathers in Game of Thrones. Cersei, a lot of bad things in her past. A lot of reasons for her to be what she is. Would I call her evil? I mean, diabolical, vengeful, angry. There's some justifiable rage in Cersei, again, you look at her past, you go, yeah, I might, I might do some of those things too if I was Cersei. Ramsey's got a lot of that, right? Bastard of, uh, bastard of, of, of Roose Bolton. Um, not treated like a child of destiny, quite the opposite. And just bred to be violent. And he, his is just... He never turns away from that. And I, I think that's slightly different than Cersei. Slightly different than Joffrey. Slightly. I go back to that scene early on, season one, right? Yes, yeah, season one where Cersei is trying to prep Joffrey a little bit. And he's talking about, well, we should have an army and this and that and a standard army and this and that. And and not that I agree with everything that Joffrey's saying in, in a real-world sense, but it, it, it shows... It shows that beneath it, there's some sense of normality to be found. I'm not defending Joffrey on some of the on any of the things he's done. By the way, I don't want anyone to say I'm like, oh, Ken. Ken thinks Joffrey's all right. No, no, no. But my point is, you can see there's some sort of a. He could be a king that maybe the realm would just kind of be okay under. Maybe if Tywin can keep him in check, because Tywin could. Tyrion could at times, Cersei could not most of the time. But you know what I mean? He was just an angry, messed up, dumb little boy who just wanted to rip the wings off butterflies. And I love butterflies. Don't any of you rip wings off butterflies. I won't defend you either. I feel like I'm in a position where I'm like defending Joffrey. But you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't... Wouldn't have been great for the small small folk. There would have been some bad things going on. But under Tywin, with Joffrey on the throne, if Tywin stays the hand of the king, and it might have been functional enough for people. Ramsey's none of that. He's unhinged. He has taken every bad thing that's happened to him, and he's made the choice to just charge ahead and simmer in who he is. And he's kind of crazy. He is unpredictable. The only thing maybe predictable about, uh, pre- predictable about him is is that he's always going to do the most ruthless, cruel things. The hunting of women with dogs, horrendous. What he did to the- uh, Theon, horrendous. But it's in the literally on the flag of his house. It's their sigil, the flayed man. He's just doing as uh, doing as he does. Just an animal being uh, an animal, as is their nature. That's Ramsey, and that's what makes him so terrible. There's the only moment, the the, the only moment where you're kind of on his side is is when when Roos naturalizes him and gives him that information, and you see you see what it means to Ramsey, and you see that hey maybe if he had gotten this kind of appreciation, respect, and love early on. Maybe he's not this kid throwing rocks at the sick, at the cripples. But he 
always charged ahead and chose evil over everything else. And that might be some of the lessons. Where Again, the Night King is different a different tale. But these shades of gray that we keep, talk, keep talking about that George R. R. Martin loves, there's great lessons to be found in them if you really dig deep. And that, and that to me, is the why of Ramsey. You can, even under the most dire of circumstances, you can still have some sort of choice to be better. It's not always going to be easy. You're not always going to have the opportunity to. And there's a lot of reasons to justify you making the wrong choice or you uh, uh, clenching your fist and heading down a certain path. Every time Ramsey gets to that path, he chooses the deepest, darkest direction. That makes him the true villain to me. Everything he did turns your stomach. And his death is, is, is one of... Can I say favorite deaths? It's so... It's Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> it's so brutal. So if there's lessons to be found in Ramsey, that is it. That is it. Try to go towards the light. Try. Try. Oh, Ramsey. Uh, Alden, great great question. We might come back to that kind of thing. I love those kind of uh, bigger, uh, deeper, philosophical-leaning kind of questions. True villainy in Game of Thrones. In a story... In a story that is all, is just the marketing thing is you don't know who's really bad, you don't really know, and who's gonna who do you hate that you're suddenly gonna love? Uh, not that I loved Ramsey, not that I love Viserys, but with Ramsey, uh, not I love I said not I love Joffrey, not that I loved um, Viserys, but with Ramsey, man, Woo. evil to the end, true villain of Game of Thrones. Stick around. Another call. And the quote of the week, it's Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsa. See ya. Well, hello there. This is Lauren Romo, one of the co-hosts of the Gale Like the Podcast. We are two gals that just talk anything and everything within that galaxy far, far away. Come join us for the Star Wars discussions. Stay for that silliness. You can find us on Apple Pod, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean. Follow us on Twitter at The Galactic Pod. And as always, may that force be with you. For the best in pop culture art, sleek designs, and some of the best brand logos around, shop G9 Design on TeePublic and represent the electrifying art of Janine Bryce with a shirt, wall art, and more. Go to TeePublic.com slash user slash G9 Design. And while you're searching the G9 Design storefront, check out Janine's show, It's a Wonderful Podcast, available right here on Anchor and wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back to Casterly Talk. A couple more minutes with me here. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna do a bonus episode next week. Look for it, friends. Don't hold me to it, but look for it. Uh, the reason being is, uh, whew, no excuses. I'm, I'm exhausted here this week. Launch box score heroes. If you guys like baseball, baseball Ray. If you like baseball, check out box score heroes. Wherever podcasts are found, though, I think there's a couple spots I still need to sneak it into. Uh, we just launched it this week officially. It's been up there for a little bit. Uh, we're uh, covering baseball, one of my other big passions. It's been a passion my, my whole life. And I, the last few years, just haven't really focused on it. With Game of Thrones and Star Wars, the things uh, that I love talking about. Those took kind of the spotlight. Now I'm going to be uh, sliding over there. Some of you might not like baseball. That's okay. Stick around for Game of Thrones. But if you want to... Want to hear me talk baseball? Go over to Box Score Heroes. And yes, for those wanting to know who are in the know, Tom Dagnino and I will be doing a show over there behind the back. Let's talk some more Game of Thrones, World of Ice and Fire here in the big lessons. Um, we got a fun call here from Donald Log. Love this one. Hey, Ken. 
I got another quick what if or what would have. If John did become king of the seven kingdoms or Akon Targaryen, fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever his name, would he have a nickname? And what would that nickname be? Would he still go by as the White Wolf like he did when he was king of the north? Or would he have a completely new Targaryen nickname like the Hidden Dragon, the Dragon Wolf, the White Dragon? That's a quick thought. Thanks. All right. This is an important question, kids. It's a really important question, okay? I have decided that Jon Snow, Aegon Targaryen the 42nd, would have been called the Furry Dragon. I stand by it. <laughs> I stand by it. The King of the Bastards, the Bastard Dragon. Uh, that you know, by that point, that that wouldn't that wouldn't matter. That wouldn't be his uh, defining characteristic anymore. The Frozen King, uh, the King who f- froze, <laughs> the King who broke his vows. Uh, the uh, you know, what, what are you gonna do? The white, uh, the white dragon, okay, but doesn't sound great. <laughs> doesn't sound like, even in Game of Thrones land, even in Westeros town, uh, I wouldn't want to be called the white dragon. Uh, this, this is too close to some bad things. So I don't think you'd call him that. Um, the the dower dragon, that might work. The heartthrob dragon, the melter of hearts. I'm telling you, think about it. The wolf dragon? Sure, 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 sure. But the furry dragon? I'm going with it. Sticking with it. No? No. You're rejecting that? All of you are rejecting that. No, 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 no. It's great. All right. Eric Monroe saved me. Hey, Kenny Cashley Talk. So I just finished season three of my rewatch, and I got to tell you, season three has definitely moved up on my list of favorite seasons because it was never a season I particularly loved. I didn't hate it. You know, it was fine. There's lots of good stuff. But over the years now, it's definitely, it's aged well, I would say, for me. Um, It's definitely Jamie's season. He's absolutely outstanding in it. There's lots of good episodes. Of course, The Reigns of Casimir, um, Kissed by Fire is one of my favorite episodes of the series. But but it got me thinking after the Red Wedding episode, if I could ask uh, D&D one question about the show, I think I might ask them when they made the decision not to do Lady Stoneheart because I'm not convinced they knew from the onset they weren't going to include that character. So I'm curious when they made that choice. So if you were going to ask them a question, what would your one question to D&D be? I, I got to tell you, Eric, asking D&D about Lady Stoneheart might be, might be the one. Um, if I sit down with David and Dan and I want to ask one question about Game of Thrones, World of Ice and Fire, well... HBO's Game of Thrones. What would I ask? I wonder. Uh, and they've read the books. We know that. Do you think they're? Do you think they're still reading the books? Do you think Dan? This is not my question. Do you think Dan and David are like, oh man, we're really excited for Wins a Winner, or they're like, we're done with all of that. Thank you, George. Thank you for all your help. We're out of here. All right. I don't want to start problems between the two. Uh, yeah, David and Dan. If I can't ask Lady Stoneheart, because let's assume Eric gets that shot, I. I think I want to know a little bit more about the decision that they, they did say in some of the extra interviews and stuff during season eight. Uh, not just about when, but their why for making Arya Stark the one who takes out the Night King. A decision that I really love. And we talked about the why of Jon Snow recently, and that wasn't his journey, and that was something else going on, and, and this was hers part of hers and it's a great victory moment again it's it's not a um the night king isn't a book character not this version of it we don't know what will emerge later on so this was to me show centric as at least right now at least for right now we'll see what george has got up his sleeves and i'm i'm excited to see or to read what he's got up his sleeves but so this, it makes sense for me, but it's a big decision. I think there was a lot of things, a lot of reasons you could say, hey, it's John's moment. I, I still understand. I, I, I understand where, where people 
can draw that conclusion. Um, it's a personal preference of mine and a personal interpretation of John's journey uh, of mine that, 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 that leads me to, I'm glad he wasn't the one and I'm glad it's Aria, but I want to know a little bit more from them. And when they started laying the groundwork, again, we got kind of a general when and we can see when it starts happening, but you know, Melisandre talking to Arya about the, all the eyes she's going to, you know, snuff out. It's early. It's pretty early. So, I'm all on board for it. I just want to know a little bit more of their process. That, that's if I got the one question, right? Lady Stoneheart's good. I, I'm still, I still, I, yeah, I mean, I just, me saying, and this is me, me saying that I still kind of wanted to see Lady Stoneheart in the show is, is more, I, I just want to see it on a lot of levels. But the biggest reason might have been, if I'm being honest, might have nothing to do with the story. And I don't think you start going into the why of Catelyn Stark. I don't know if you need that. I, I, I want it. I want it. I want to see. I want to read it more. But on, on the show, I don't know if you actually really need it. I got to admit, though, the real big reason I still kind of wanted it to happen and, and, you know, was looking forward to it is just I wanted to see the world explode. <laughs> you know? Ned's death, um, I'd say next up, The Red Wedding. Season two, season two doesn't have super, you know, the super big, like, oh, my God, which why, why early on season two kind of got knocked a little bit. And that includes, I include myself in that. And uh, and now I love that season. Uh, also, interesting side note, Eric, I, I'm intrigued by your saying you're rewatching um season three and, and finding you like it more. Cause that's, that's my, that's like my least kind of like my least favorite season. And even, even with the big things in it, it's weird. So time to revisit it for me for sure. It's got some great stuff. Don't get me wrong. I think you all know what I mean, but yeah, Ned's death, Viserys's death, the dragons emerging, Danny, uh, getting out of Karth. Yeah. All that stuff. Red wedding. And I remember after the Red Wedding, by this point, um, you know, I didn't know. But I, I in season four, trying to take myself back to the moment. Yeah, it's season four. Oh, so then by then you got Oberyn. Duh. You got Oberyn's death. And I remember I'm sitting with my friend. We're at her house on the couch. And we were both, by, by this point, we're, you know, she was a book reader long before me, long, long before me. And was the one that told me, don't wait for the show. I was doing the season book, season book. She's like, it just, it gets messy. Just, just finish the books. It'll help your viewing. It'll enhance your viewing. And I, I felt it did. But we were both sitting there. We were at her house and her, and her husband was there too. Husband at the time. And uh, we, we thought, here we go. Fade out. Feet are going to be running through the forest. And it's going to be a fray uh, running into Lady Stoneheart. And, and the world is going to explode. Like, you ain't seen nothing. Red Wedding, Ned's death, Oberyn's death. Oh, don't, you don't even know. This is going to blow your mind for the people that didn't know. And by now, I, I don't even, spoiler, book spoiler label, I don't even really put it on that. I think just if, if you're a fan enough of Game of Thrones, you've, you've heard the tales, you, you know who Lady Stoneheart is. I think that's the more than anything the reason I really wanted it in the show. As I wanted to have a little bit of that smug, oh, well, I, I knew that was coming. But I wanted to just go on Twitter. Unlike, we're like season eight, where I finally just left Twitter because I could not take the reactions of, of, of general Game of Thrones uh, fans or viewers. I want to call them fans. Um, but I, I wanted like the other way, like the positive way of everyone goes to the, the water cooler that is Twitter, Twitter to be like, no way. And then when it didn't happen, I got to tell you, if we were talking about it, to be honest, when it didn't happen and then kind of word came out that like, yeah, no, it, it ain't going to happen. I felt that was me being for the first time, oh, I was going to be smug book guy and I didn't get to be it. And now I feel kind of stupid. And this is, again, a personal feeling I had and I had to work through that. And I still think. That factors into a lot of the end game of Game of Thrones. I still believe it. A lot of the, uh, I know what's going to happen and here's what's going to happen. 
when that started to fade away, your, your chance to be a smug book person. By the way, it's, it's fun to be a smug book person every now and then, all right? I ain't casting stones at it. I'm a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan. And by the way, I do love the movies, 2005. But, you know, they're going to do a show, uh, a new TV show version of Hitchhiker's. And I'm going to be smug book Hitchhiker's fan for a bit. And I'll dance around with that. And then I got to let that feeling go. It's like we learned with Ramsey. You have to choose. At the end of the day, I still think the cards dealt with you. You got to play them. And you got to learn how to play them. And you don't want to be Ramsey. You don't want to be Ramsey. Well, we had the Lady Stoneheart card taken away from us. And so a lot of us did not want to play the game anymore. (laughs) But, hey, that's just me. Uh, Folks, we're going to do this quote of the week here. I uh, love doing this, love pulling them. Their show, their books, the behind the scenes, whatever. And now I've been trying to make a little bit more notes. Tonight's episode, a little bit more of the old style of free, free flowing here on Casually Talk. Um, but I wanted to put a little more, uh, you know, pre planned thoughts into some of my episodes, knowing that I was going to be doing more of them by myself these days. And so I, I was so smart. Talk about book smug. I was pre planning podcast producing smug. I had uh, this great quote pulled. And I knew I was going to do the episode on the humanity of the hound. And somewhere along the way, I forgot that I had pulled this quote from our friends at uh, Wiki of Ice and Fire. I don't know them, but I'm going to call them friends because I use their nice uh, wiki. And I forgot. I don't know what happened. I put the note in another Google Doc and I started another. I don't know. Google Doc confusion. It's a thing. And this quote was going to be in that the humanity of the hound episode based off Nick's great call. And instead, I put one with George R. R. Martin that, that I thought worked, too. Stand by that. Well, this week, I was preparing for this show, and I found this document. And this is the quote I wanted. So go back in time and imagine this was in the Humanity of the Hound episode. But I, I love this quote. It's a lot about his uh, who he is. And I'm going to get the exact chapter... Uh, that it is from, because we all want to know that. We all want to know exact chapters of where things are. It is Sansa. So it's chapter 52 of A Clash of Kings, Sansa 4. And uh, this is what Sandor says. There are no true knights, no more than there are gods. If you can't protect yourself, die and get out of the way of those who can. Sharp steel and strong arms rule this world. Don't ever believe any different. And, uh, you know, versions of that could could definitely appear in some of the other things Sandra said on the show. But I love this. And we talk about the lay of the land. And, and Cersei's, to me, someone that knows the lay of the land. Robert knows the lay of the land. Those shades of gray that we talk about. This is pretty direct from Sandor, and he's not wrong. He's not wrong. But, again, you have a choice. And that's about his journey. And that's why we talked about the humanity of the hound a couple weeks ago. Uh, there are no true knights. He's it's why he you know he hate he's always about Sandor's always about I am no knight, I am no knight. I think he hates that he's pressed into some sort of more a little bit more official capacity when Joffrey becomes king. He doesn't like that. Doesn't believe in the gods. Ties into what he uh, what we see in the show later on with the uh, the God of Fire there, and what he learns a little bit of spiritual awakening. Awakening. If you can't protect yourself, think of the farmer and the daughter. It's all true. That's why he's going to take their money. Just feels it. Die and get out of the way. So I can get it's pull to the right. I'm driving fast. Pull over. Let me go. He's not concerned with you. Just wants to go. Sharp, still, and strong arms rule this world. And that is, that is true. That is true at that time. And he's saying this to Sansa. It is. It is. It's interesting again that this is going. This is kind of the Battle of Blackwater Bay stuff. Uh, that scene in the show and and, and the, when the first big slivers of light in, in the character of the Hound. It's interesting that he's saying that to Sansa. And this, to me, is a little bit of a card dealt to Sansa. You've got to be strong. You've got to have some steel. You've got to be brutal. Your father's a killer. Oh, he's a killer. Everyone's a killer. They like killing. I like killing. It's all the stuff uh, told to Sansa. And again, it's a little card that she's kind of told to play. You either get get the power or get out of the way. So Sansa has to circumnavigate that a little bit because she doesn't have strength with the steel. 
she doesn't have that strong arm right now in this position as she's talking to the hound and along the way, and she's constantly put into positions where she does not have power. She's mistreated. She's misused. She's a token. She's a pawn. She's played. So I wonder if she goes back to these kind of things and says, what is the true power in the land? Is it sharp, still, and strong arms? I don't have that, but Cersei doesn't have that directly. What can I learn from her? And how can I change this? And what choices can I make to get that power and to survive, but to do it in a better way? To not do it like Sansa. To not do it like Ramsay. Now, Sansa had a lot easier upbringing than a lot of people in Game of Thrones. But she's still a woman in this world. And as Cersei will let you know, they treat girls bad everywhere in the Seven Kingdoms and Essos in this world. So Sansa had to overcome that and find herself, take her little broken wings and learn to fly. And that's why I love this quote. It makes me think of everything. And how Sandor himself probably be really, really proud to see Sansa become become queen queen of the north. The humanity of Sandor, the wisdom of Sandor, and the brutality of Sandor, and the humor of Sandor. Absolutely one of the more funnier characters. All right, that's the quote of the week. That's the show. You can follow me at Cadnapsack. Go to Cadnapsack.com if you want to get information on all the things I do, including my book, Why We Love Star Wars, Charity Spotlight tab. Check there. We're still highlighting Same You, uh, which is the... Um, uh, brain Injury Recovery Charity, uh, founded and championed by Amelia Clark. Also on there this month, we're highlighting the Peace Fund by our friend Kai Thatch. All the links and all the information for those charities and more are on the Charity Spotlight tab at kednapsuck.com. Check it out, my friends. All right, like I said, don't hold me to it, but I think we might have a bonus episode next week. Got a lot of great calls from y'all. They're the best. You're the best. We'll see you next time. Bye.